think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 353 of Low Limit Football on this 27th of March, 2022. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, three teams are fighting for one spot in Conway Ball as they go to a playoff as the qualifiers have been set down in South America. In CONCACAF, it's a race to the finish for Mexico and the U.S. as Costa Rica has inched closer to qualifying as well. In Africa, the rematch sees Egypt take a 1-0 lead on an own goal into the second leg against Senegal. Will the champs be eliminated this week? And speaking of champs, the European champion is out as Italy falls to North Macedonia in World Cup qualifying. We're going to discuss that and much, much more with our very special guest, Mr. Cliff Esmiol from the host of Stoppage Time by All UV Cast will be joining us in just a bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. Are you starting any more international situations, my friend? Well, I hope not. And I guess it all depends on tonight if the United States uh, get the result needed. And so maybe it would be cause for international celebration more than anything. But uh, no, no, no. Keeping myself clean for now. But hey, it's any, I guess, free publicity is good publicity at this point. I, I, I'd say so. But uh, yeah, I, I get what you mean. You and I, uh, you know, unfortunately already have one dog out of the fight. And we are we are deeply praying. I mean, this is like church going type praying uh, to get our team, our, our United States into this uh, World Cup, because I don't want a, a repeat of 2018 for either of us. So but let's uh, let's let's jump into it, because we have our guest actually with us right now. Um, so joining us on the show from, like I said, all uh, from stoppage time from the all Juve cast, Mr. Cliff Esmiol. Cliff, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us and giving us so much time this morning. Um, it's very rare that we get to have a guest that joins us for the entire show and gets to talk about everything. Um, but I think this one's an important show this week. And, and again, thank you for joining us, my friend. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on this episode. Um, I, um, I'm i really excited. There's so much to talk about. Obviously, a lot of disappointment with Italy not making it. Um, but I'm really happy to spend all the time with you guys. I have a very free morning. So I, I thought, you know, what's a better way than to depress myself and talk about Italy? <laughs> oh my god you know I, i'll tell you both um you know, you know roberto and i are, are regulars on talk sport uh where we're, we're reached out to, you know we're contacted to go on to radio in london um you know quite frequently and of course right after the italy match uh the, the producers over at talk sport reached out to me and said uh, hey you know are you free tonight to come on the show and i literally i was so depressed i'm like you know I, they asked me if i wanted to talk about the qualifiers of the day and i and i said to him listen i only watched one I'm really not happy about it, and I don't think I'd be a good guest tonight. So, <laughs> you know, but now that I've had a few days to unpack what happened, I, you know, I think it's a, a good time to talk about it. So before we get into uh, our misery, let's let's head over to South America real quick. I know we want to talk about this quickly. So uh, at our last show, we had two teams qualify for South America, Brazil and Argentina. They'd already gotten in before this round started. Since then, we've added two more. We've added Ecuador and uh, Uruguay. Ecuador, despite losing... 
um, their last match to uh, Paraguay 3-1, Mr. Rojas, um, have qualified for uh, the 2022 in Qatar. Uruguay as well with a uh, with a victory 1-0 over Peru, which was really significant this week because Peru is one of those last teams fighting for this uh, to get into the World Cup quali- or get into the World Cup. Um, obviously suffer a setback. So we've really got three teams now down for one particular playoff spot. We've got Peru at 21 points, Colombia at 20 points, and Chile at 19 points. And we have their matches of the week coming up. Chile and Uruguay actually face off against each other, uh, while Peru will take on Paraguay at home, and Venezuela will host Colombia, and I think which will be a, a, a massive matchup. Roberto, obviously as the expert in South American football, uh, you know, I'd like I'd like your opinions on what we saw so far this week, uh, what we expect to see coming up this week in the last round of qualifying, and who you think in your gut might be going through to uh, Qatar or at least going through to the playoff uh, to get to Qatar. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's something that we've kind of made, been made apparent throughout this entire process. I think we know obviously that Brazil and Argentina are miles ahead of everyone else in the continent, but I think what we saw from Ecuador, especially the early Ecuador, if you remember Joe when they went on that unbeaten run i forgot how many games it was but they had a really great start to qualifying and i think that that level of consistency just helped them you know have just enough points okay yeah they kind of stumbled a bit um later on but you know they were still able to get really crucial points to have enough to qualify for qatar so i think that was the more uh, important thing for them as for uruguay yes this was also the big question was how was this Uruguay going to step up with a new coach? If you remember, Joe, they sacked Oscar Tavares and bring in the, the former Inter-Miami coach, uh, Diego Alonso, mm-hmm. to come in. And so everyone was thinking, all right, how's this Uruguay side going to react um, with their new manager? And from there, <laughs> they got three straight wins right off the bat. So clearly, uh, it's a demonstration of perhaps the talent showing up when needed to be. Um but, uh, yeah, looking at the final few spots, I mean, if there's any team that really is, is in uh, control of their own destiny, it's Peru. If you look at it real quick, Joe Peru on 21, Colombia right below them at 20, and then Chile at 19 points. So Colombia and Chile are really hoping that Peru can stumble in that game against Paraguay, whereas Peru, they only really need is a draw, um, hypothetically, to qualify and assume that both Colombia and Chile don't get maximum points either, meaning they cannot get a win. A draw for them would be fine. Um, obviously, a win means that it doesn't matter what happens in the Colombia-Chile game. That would be enough to take them to that fifth-place spot. So I think it's going to be Peru. I, I, I just I feel like, you know, the – and I, we kind of, kind of lost this in a way with the unpredictability of how Commonwealth has become. But uh, I think in this case, I think for the first time, I think we're really going to see something – very straightforward. I think Peru will have just enough to qualify. And I say this even as they take on my team, I think they will have enough to beat them uh, over there in Lima um, and get the result needed. So that means Colombia out of the World Cup, but missing um, really their chance of a third straight one in Chile, another team that's going to miss out on a second straight World Cup despite winning the Copa Americas back in 2015-2016. And, you know, Cliff, I'll go to you on this one as well because you look at the Peru side, yes, it's a generation of players that are in the prime of their careers. I mean, we did see that in 2018. We were thinking, you know, this this might be a, a one-time thing. But no, I think Ricardo Gareca has been doing great stuff for them. But I think for the Chile side and the Colombia side, I think it's the end of a generation for both these teams who have been so consistent and so dominant in South America for a better half of a decade. And now they're going to miss out on the biggest party in, in world football. Yeah, that's it's really interesting you say that stuff, um, uh, uh, Roberto. Is that, I think, was it 18? Is that the Copa America Centenario? Was that that no, year? 16. Yeah, 15 and 16 that Chile went back to back. Okay, because I remember I watched the Copa. I was actually at the Peru-Colombia, I think it was quarterfinal, um, the Copa America Centenario. And I was really amazed with how well Peru uh, stuck in that match because it went to penalties. Um, and I think Colombia won in penalties, but I was really impressed with Peru getting that far in the competition. Um, so I've been enamored by that team since then. Um, and I think uh, I think you're right. I think they kind of they've kind of taken everybody a little bit by surprise. They've kind of creeped up the standings, and now they're they're in prime position to make it into the World Cup, which would be huge for their nation, um, and obviously a huge um, disappointment for Colombia with some really talented players in Juan Cuadrado and Luis Muriel and Duran Zapata, some Serie A talent, um, as well as, um, you said Chile, um, that would be really huge if those teams didn't make it, but obviously we knew teams like 
Brazil and Argentina would make it. Um, they have some phenomenal teams. Um, obviously, I'm really disappointed. Um, like, I'm sad not to see Paraguay in because I know you've been telling me about, like, there's some really good talent on that team. So I'm a little bit disappointed that they can't make it. Um, but, um, you know, let's hope, like you guys said, that the U.S. make it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, Joe, I mean, you know, I'm just telling you right here about this Peru side. I think um, they've been so consistent, really, in, in how they've been performing. You know, they've made it to a Copa America final beforehand. They, you know, uh, really give battles to a lot of these teams in mm -hmm. South America, really. So uh, it's a it's really the effort and I think the demonstration of the work that Ricardo Gareca has done with this side. And who knows what they'll do in Qatar. But I think, um, you know, obviously the last time they were there, they... Um, they didn't do well in the group stage. They had a tough group with France, Denmark, and Australia. But I think if they're getting into a good group this time around, I think they can surprise some people. Oh, they certainly can because, you know, they play well organized. And they're also, you know, they're, they've kept consistency, right? They've kept the same head coach. That Where the other two teams that were looking at, Colombia and Chile, over the past few years have, have replaced their coaches, sometimes multiple times. Keeping Gareca, I think, was a, was a big deal. Having said that, though, this is this is going to be a tricky spot for Peru because um, you know they're they're obviously taking on Paraguay. They're taking them on at home. Paraguay is the lowest scoring team in the uh, in Conmebol right now, but Peru, out of the three teams going forward, are on the quote unquote worst run of form, having lost. Um, you know, I'm sorry, having only picked up one point in their last two matches. So um, it is going to be a dogfight. You also wonder about Colombia and their ability to uh you know if peru doesn't get a result against paraguay to be able to jump ahead they're gonna have to go to venezuela which is tough but this is a team that's finally scored again um which they hadn't done i, I want to say it was like five or six matches yeah so, same record as paraguay as well they, they hmm. went that with that scoreless run of not scoring in the last five six games exactly so so you know something with a little you know if they if you, we've got a colombia side that's picked up a little confidence again going to venezuela is not going to be easy uh, but if there's a team that's that's ready to deal with the heat and hostility, it's probably Colombia because they dish it out themselves. Um, I think Chile is the outlier here. I don't think Chile are going to have enough to get a, a convincing result against Uruguay uh, to be able to move themselves in. So I, I, for me, I think ultimately, you know, if we're going to predict, I would say uh, Chile's out. Um, obviously, uh, Peru hold the top spot, but... You've also got a Paraguayan side, and, and Roberto, you can speak to this as well, that is probably looking to prove something, right? I mean, mm -hmm. they're going to want to go out with a bang here. They did pick up the 3-1 win against Ecuador. This is probably a spot for Paraguay where they want to start to shape their future because it's a, it's a younger side, and I think that that's going to be very difficult for Peru. I, I'm actually – I don't know if you're picking Peru to go move through as that qualifier for that last spot – I'm actually mm. gonna, I'm gonna actually going to go to Colombia, and I, I think I'm going to take Colombia mm. in this one because I, I just feel like once they broke that dam of scoring goals, I think they're finally going to start scoring goals again, and I think they can do it against the Venezuela side that is not uh, very good defensively, second-worst defensive side in CONMEBOL right now, and uh, and I think if they're going to start scoring goals, there's going to be big trouble for Peru and, and, and to see what they can do. What do you, I mean, Cliff, if you had to pick somebody here, what do you think? Do you think it's going to be um, Peru, Colombia, Chile? Who would you hang your hat on in this one? Ah, that's really tough. Um, because like you said, Peru is in like prime position to to make it through. I think um, well, it's interesting with Chile because I feel like they're kind of their quote unquote golden generation has passed. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of is nearing the end. So I think it's I think it's kind of over for Chile at least for this past generation. Like we know the greats of Alexis Sanchez and Arturo Vidal, players like that. Um, uh, I I don't know. My my heart is saying Colombia. Mm -hmm. I feel like Colombia goes through. I feel like there's just so much talent. There's too much talent on that team, I feel like, to not make it to the World Cup. Um, and they're kind of, they have some aging players as well. Like I mentioned, um, Duban Zapata is injured right now, but him, he's about almost 30. Luis Morial is almost 30, um, if not already 30. And then Cuadrado, we know, is like mid, I think he's like mid-30s now. Yeah. So they're older, you know, talented players are starting to get older. But I, I just have this feeling that this will be, the last hurrah for those types of players. Like, I think this will be, I think I have this feeling that Colombia makes it through. I just think they find a way. Now, Roberto, I want to get your, your final prediction. So you're thinking, um, you're, you're thinking this is going to be Peru. And I, and I think the rest of us are thinking it's going to be Colombia, correct? Yeah. Like right. you said, Joe, going back, yeah. Paraguay are indeed thinking about their future and they kind of demonstrated that in their three, one win over Ecuador the other day. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, if they're going to prove history, they got to really prove it this time because they've never beaten Peru in a world cup qualifier in Peru. So history's on that kind of side for Peru in this mm -hmm. case. So 
I think looking at the circumstances and looking at how, because I think Colombia do get the result against Venezuela, but I think this is the game that everyone's really focused on. I think that's the one that, out of all of the five that are happening, this is where everyone is starting to to keep an eye out. But Venezuela couldn't indeed surprise. Like you said, you know, it's a talented side that unfortunately, um, and, and talk about having the biggest of storylines is the Venezuela coach was the former Colombia coach when they made it to the World Cup quarterfinals in 2014 and in 2018, Jose Peckerman. So <laughs> you talk about potentially Peckerman knocking out the, the country where he's had most success uh, as a coach. So, yeah, so many things going on at the moment. But I think Peru just have enough to get that final place um, playoff spot to take on the team from, from Asia. Conway Ball is always the gift that keeps on giving, my friend. Um, let's let's go to uh, to Concacaf. Let's go to North and Central America right now, where we see Canada leading the way. Although Canada on the week picking up their very first loss, uh, one note to Costa Rica going down into Costa Rica, and Costa Rica with the win, moving into that fourth spot, knocking Panama out. Panama only managing a one-one um, draw against Honduras, uh, bottom of the table. The USA and Mexico played to a nil-nil draw, and uh, and Cliff, I'm going to go to you first because for me. Um, and as much as I like to beat up uh, uh, Greg Berhalter, um, I, you know I don't think he's the right coach for this for this team for this job or anything. I feel like this Mexico side, even though it was a nil-nil draw, he made the right choices. Uh, whether it be the starting lineup, whether it be the substitutions, I feel like he made the right choices overall going into Azteca to at least at minimum pull out this one point. Um, and, and really, for me, for the 90 minutes, the U.S. seemed like the team that was best poised to win the match. Uh, what were your thoughts on on the uh, Mexico-USA match? Uh, obviously, both teams are tied three points behind Canada, currently sitting three points ahead of Costa Rica, moving into this match tonight uh, at the time of this recording. What are your thoughts on, uh, on the U.S.'s performance overall, and, and where do you see them going after this? Well, I think it was a really interesting matchup, and I think you're right. I think Greg Ber- Berhalter got um, the decisions right. He's playing a little bit handcuffed because he's missing um, probably his best midfielder in Weston McKinney um, with injury, so that kind of plays a lot into how he structures that midfield. Um, but I think the U.S. played really a good, a really strong match. It was just it came down to finishing. Um, Pulisic had that wide open. Um, opportunity in the box, and I don't know what he if he just if the ball took a slight bounce and he just mishit it. But I mean, in that situation, you need to finish it. And if you if you put that away and it's one nothing, I think that kind of opens the floodgates. And I think you probably see probably a two nothing win for the U.S. because we just looked really strong. Um, everything was going through the U.S. I mean, Mexico had their chances. They used their pace on the wings to really um, get through and and find opportunities, but. The U.S.'s buildup was was pretty smooth compared to what I've usually seen. Usually it's very haphazard in the way they build up. Um, but this one looked really good. It looked a lot better. It looked cleaner. Um, yeah, it's just I feel like U.S. the U.S. is just missing that clinical striker. I feel like we don't have a true clinical striker. Um, and I think Pepe can develop into that. Um, but I feel like he wasn't as much of a goal-scoring threat as we needed him to be. I think he needs to be a little bit more involved. I think he needs to really demand the ball at his feet, and he needs to just shoot and take some shots um, because if he is going to be this talent that we we expect him to be, because um, he's already made a big move to Bundesliga, um, we need to keep seeing him develop. We need to keep seeing him get shots on target. Um, we need to see continuous development as well as we need Pulisic to step up. We need him to score those goals. Um, Giovanni Arena. Oh my gosh, man, that run that he made. Mm. He's just such a special player. Um, I think it was Burhalter who said post interview that it reminded him of Maradona and I think like the eighty six World Cup or something. Yeah, that's yeah. right, in the same stadium where he did that game uh, yeah. against England. Yeah. And I was like for, at first I was like, Okay, we're comparing like a nineteen year old US kid to Maradona. But like in hindsight, looking back at the comment, I'm like and I actually looked at the video of what Maradona did and I could I could definitely see the resemblance. Um he's just um, like of that run was just so special. Like I watched it in slow-mo and I was just like, wow, this guy's like 19. Mm. It was, or 18 or 19. It was just really special. And he's just going to be so talented. It still amazes me how he doesn't start in this team. Um, I, I feel like him and Pulisic are the future on the wings. Um, just so, so special. Um, but yeah, us should have came out with at least a one, nothing victory in this one because Mexico did not look like they were up for this match. Mm-hmm. It did not look like they were ready to take on the U.S. And 
that hasn't been the case in past years. So it was really interesting to see the U.S. kind of take it to Mexico and still not come out with the results. So I hope tonight um, I'm going to be go, going to watch that match um, with some friends. And I really hope U.S. can kind of route um, Panama in a good way and, you know, give the U.S. fans some confidence going into the rest of these qualifiers. Now, Roberto, I want to go to you because, um, you know, last week when we had Janusz Mahalik on the show, he, uh, he he kind of expressed that he, we should be playing our, our number one side. I agreed with him completely that I think we should be playing our A team, that this Mexican side was was there for the taking. And, and lo and behold, that's what we did. Uh, I know there was a lot of talk leading up to the match about not playing certain players because we were going to, they were under a yellow card, um, you know, suspension uh, threat. And unfortunately, they did lose one in DeAndre Yedlin. They did use, lose him to a yellow card. Um, Greg Berhalter has brought in Shaq Moore to, to take up that spot. Um, you know, hindsight now, I know we talked about it pregame where we thought that, you know, the best thing to do is play your A-team. Hindsight, was that the right decision in your uh, opinion? And um, and going back to the Gio Reyna run, uh, this is a player that hasn't played 90 minutes. I think he's only played 90 minutes once since August uh, or twice since August. So I think, you know, I get why he didn't play the full 90 um, do you want to see 90 out of Gio Reyna coming up in this next match against Panama tonight? Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I think, yeah, you should be playing your strongest side, especially when everything's really going in in, the, in their way for the United States. You know, a win for them and a Costa Rica draw or loss would be enough for them to qualify to the to the World Cup. So I think you should be playing your strongest team, and rightly so. I think mm-hmm. out of all the three games that are left, I think this is um, the one that is the least difficult. Okay, Panama are still a great side, and they're very much a dangerous side as we've seen in the past. You know, this is the same Panama side that beats the United States early on in qualifying. So yeah, no, I think you you definitely have to play your strongest side. I think you have to go all out and and go for it really mm-hmm. because I think this is a side that yeah I, I think what we saw in Mexico City that ultimately the chances were near. I mean, I, I think they. Honestly, I just looked at it and I thought to myself that they could have indeed got the the result that they needed and then win that game. I think they were they looked very posed and looked very confident in getting it, you know, which would have been their first ever win in Mexico in a World Cup qualifier. So, I think now heading into this one against the Panama in in Orlando, I think yeah, I think you have to really go for it. Honestly, just go for the three points. Try to get as much as you can from it. Um, you know, definitely play your strongest seed with with Giorena and. Pulisic and yeah it's gonna be interesting to see who comes up but I think Jordan Peacock might be getting the starting list uh, starting position as well you, know, you still have Timothy Weah there Pepe let's see if he can do something but uh no I think ultimately I think you just go for it and, and get all the results that you need to qualify for the World Cup last question for both of you um Panama tonight take on uh El Salvador in El Salvador um Hugo oh, Perez uh, um uh, no Panama Panama should be playing I'm sorry no, we're playing Panama Yes, tonight. I'm sorry. Costa Rica's taking on El Salvador. Um, you know, Hugo Perez, former U.S. men's national team player, currently head coach of El Salvador. El Salvador coming off the, uh, the the 1-1 draw against Jamaica. And in Jamaica at the office and, you know, really put in, I, I saw most of that match and it was really a great performance by, uh, by El Salvador overall. You know, coming in to host Costa Rica, a Costa Rican side that's only scored nine goals in 12 matches here. Can we see... A, do you guys feel that El Salvador can pull out a draw uh, against a team that is really, if you look at the standings, is the hottest side? They haven't lost in their last five matches in Costa Rica. Can they pull off uh, at least a draw that the U.S. would need in combination with the Panama win or win over Panama to uh, to get into the World Cup tonight? Uh, Cliff, I'll ask you first. What do you think? Can they do it? Yes. Um, on any given night, anyone can pull out a draw or pull out a win or anything and pull out a result. But will they? I don't think so because I just think Costa Rica have been a um, you know low key dangerous team. Um, I know like you said the goals aren't really there, but I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know correct me if I'm wrong. I think Jesus Navas, um, yeah Jesus Navas is in goal for them, right? Kaylor mm-hmm. Navas. Kaylor Navas. Oh, Kaylor Navas. Sorry, I always get confused with the Navases. <laughs> um, but yeah, Kaylor Navas is still in goal, and like they still have some quality players on that side. So. Actually, you know what? I don't think a draw, like for a win, that would be a little bit more tough. But a draw, I don't think is out of the question. Um, they could probably hold a 1-1 draw. I feel like I could see that. And that would be amazing for us to make the, the U.S. go through. Um, that would be absolutely incredible. So, you know what? I'm going to be I'm gonna be optimistic. I'm going to say 1-1 draw. Roberto, how about you, sir? What do you think? Uh, yeah, let's, let's be optimistic as well. I say 1-1 draw on this one. And the United States get the win over Panama to have enough to qualify for the World Cup. 
and I'm and I'm praying for the same thing because it would end my suffering. So now that I've I've prolonged this long enough, uh, let's get to the 800 pound gorilla in the room here. Uh, Italy losing one nil at home in Palermo to North Macedonia in a uh, in an injury time goal um, for Tchaikovsky for uh, Macedonia Tchaikovsky who who plays at Palermo um, or played at Palermo um, the the this this is a an incredibly tough one to swallow Italy completely completely dominant in this one 64% possession 32 shots can't get anything into the goal uh, Gigio Donnarumma on the, on the goal itself on a, and really was a shot that was 25 yards out, right? Something like that looked asleep. Uh, and, and the ball went by him. It, it was, it was lumbering. It was lazy and it was a poor attempt at a save. Who do we pin this on? Uh, I, you know, we can start with, we, let's start with that. You know, looking at the microcosm of the match, um, you know, missed chances by everybody, Domenico Berardi, who you would expect to, to finish multiple chances, especially the one where the goalkeeper, you've seen the, the, the video and the pictures was out of the goal, um, had an opportunity to go up one. nil. I want to say that was in the, uh, the beginning of the second half did not, did not uh, execute Chiro Immobile didn't do much of anything. It, it seems like the, the, it's the, not the proper color blue Jersey for him. Uh, Lorenzo Insigne, no, no exist. You know, he was non-existent. He was not uh, threatening uh, in the way we've seen Insigne dominate a match. Uh, the midfield, Jorginho was terrible. Okay, he was awful. Barella was okay. Verratti, Marco Verratti ran his socks off. I mean, he probably ran twice as hard as anybody. He was all over the pitch. The big question mark in the in the match was the defensive back line, and I didn't think they were terrible. I, I thought they did an adequate job. Um, and losing Mancini to injury there at the end, and they brought in Chiellini. I don't think that was, um, you know, I don't think it was bad to bring in Chiellini. I, I don't think it was, it hurt us to to lose Mancini at that point. Um, you know, that that was for me the non-existent part. For me, the ability for Italy to finish, finish shots, to score goals was glaringly obvious in this one. Um, and I think Mancini made a lot of the right moves. Maybe he should have brought on Joao Pedro a little earlier. Uh, for Immobile because Immobile just wasn't affecting the match the way we would hope he would. Um, I thought bringing in Raspadori when he did was was the right move as well. I, so for me, there was a lot of... Um, Mancini didn't do anything wrong. I think for me, this is where I pin this loss on the players and specifically the players up front, the players in the midfield, the players that were really Italy's strength um, going through. Uh, and And... One thing I want to point out is we've seen this Italy side perform like this now for quite a while. And for me, I know a lot of people pointed to Federico Chiesa and missing Chiesa in this match was a big deal. And I, and I agree it absolutely was, but this turn for this style of play of Italy for me did not start um, until uh, Leonardo Spinazzola tore his Achilles in the Euros. If you remember the last two matches of the Euros were very, very difficult, uh, extra time against Spain. It was the penalties against England. Um, they did not look like the dominant team that had started out the Euros, but they did manage to get across the finish line. But that lack of dominance continued into the Switzerland matches, continued into this North Macedonia match where they didn't finish. And for me, the biggest glaring miss for Italy moving forward from the Euros was the loss of Spinazzola. Um, Cliff, I'm going to go to you because I'm sure you're just as angry and aggravated about this as myself. Um, where do you stand on, on the match, your analysis of the match, the, the analysis of this Italian national team moving forward, the analysis of, um, Mancini and, and what should happen with his job moving forward? Where do you stand on all of it? Well, Joe, this is, um, you know, it's obviously difficult to talk about, but there are so many points to get at, which you, you touched on a lot of those points. It's funny because I was watching this match and my, my dad was just getting home from a business trip. And they actually, North Macedonia scored right when he walked through the door. And he was so excited. So he was like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, Dad, don't talk to me for the next 30 minutes. Because mm. um, I was just so upset. I was, it was so frustrating. But, like, looking at this match in hindsight, um, yeah, people want to, you know, put on Mancini. Some people want to put on the players. I'm very frustrated with how the front three played. Berardi played really well when the build-up. He dribbled well. He just didn't have the, the killer instinct in finishing the shots. Um, and just being quick to, to fire it. He took a lot of hesitations when he was dribbling. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, Cheeto starting, 
I would not have started him, but I know you were kind of handcuffed because I think it was Skamaka had been injured in practice, so he right. couldn't have played. Is that what I was? That's what I heard. And then Raspadori, you could have played like a like a false nine, and you could have done like a rotating front three. Um, that could have, I think, worked. But I know Chiro has been so good in Serie A, you kind of can't not play him. So in my opinion, I think Mancini made all the right calls for the most part. Um, so, but the thing is, it comes down to the players. You know, the co- the coach puts all his faith in you to do this, and you give him that kind of a performance. That is to be so deflating and so discouraging for him that he puts all of his faith in these players, and they really let him down. They let their nation down. Um, the only player who I saw fight for the kit the entire time for their nation was Verratti. Um, Verratti is a world-class player when healthy. Um, last um, that night um, that it happened. He looked like the best midfielder in the world for me. He looked outstanding. He outdribbled every player in that um, on that field. Um, Insigne put a couple crosses in, but for the most part, very lackluster. Um, this will be the last time we see him in a in an Azzurri kit, in my opinion. Um, I think he's done. Uh, like you said, Jorginho was very lackluster. He helped hold possession and pass the ball around, but that was all he did. He didn't do much special. Barella was decent. Um, yeah, the defense, the defense did what they could. Um, this was kind of a changing of the guards. You kind of expected there to be some sort of changing until the, if they had played um, Portugal in the in the um, last game, you would have expected to see Chiellini and Bonucci. But um, it's very frustrating. Without Chiesa, we couldn't really spread the defense out and really um, stretch that defense. Um, so you see how much we miss his pace on the wing. Because Berardi is good. But he's not that that pacey player who's just going to dribble by people. He kind of holds the play up a little bit with his dribbling, then tries to cut in and either shoot, curling, curling the ball in, or or putting it across. But um, you can't have two of the same players on both wings. Like Insigne is that kind of like takes the slow dribbles and kind of cuts in. But out of these kind of the same way on the on the um, right side. So you need to have somebody to kind of change that um, dynamic. And like you said, Spinazzola not having him is is so crucial because him and Insigne's link-up was so perfect in the Euros. Um, but this is a second wake-up call for Italy. We didn't make the World Cup in 2018. I thought that was because we didn't change the guard quick enough in terms of our more older players. And that was mostly in the midfield, I thought. I think this was the same case, but with the front, kind of with the um, the forwards. I think you should have been playing some of your younger forwards. Um, I think you should have mixed it up. Um, just it, it looked really disappointing to have 32 shots, like you said and no no goals to show for it. And I'm sorry I'm rambling a little bit, just a lot of frustration. Um, and then the last thing I want to say is somebody um, sent a message to me and said, you know, would you take that Euro for not making the World Cup? It's a really difficult question because it's, mm. it's like basically asking, you know, it, it's a really difficult question. But for me, this one doesn't hurt as much because we did win the Euros. I mean, some people take it the other way. Um, Joe, before we get to Roberto, what do you think on that question? I'm going to throw a question at you now. Um, would you have taken the Euros for missing the World Cup? Yes, and I, and I and I will tell you exactly why. And I and I've given this some thought. I would take the European European title for missing the World Cup, and the reason is mm-hmm. is because it's money in the bank. It's a title. Mm-hmm. It's a trophy. It's a trophy that it had eluded us for uh, almost 30 years. Uh, and, you know, I know a lot of people, oh, well, you know, you, when you go to the World Cup, you're not guaranteed, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to get Brazil. You're going to get Argentina. You're going to get Spain. You're going to get France. You're going to get England. You're going to get Germany. You're going to get, you know, Senegal or Egypt. You're, you're going to get big, big names. Um, that title was not guaranteed. This is money in the bank, okay? And I will always take money in the bank over the unknown. So for me, yeah, I would. I'm still happy that we won. And I, I had to go back and look. It was only eight months ago. It seems like we won that Euro 20 years ago. It was only eight months ago. And I, I would I would still take it. I, w- I would take it all day long, um, you know, and, and because it is it is guaranteed. It is in our pocket. And and I remember what that winning feeling feels like. And I know a lot of uh, a lot of English fans were, were, you know, razzing Italian fans about this. Just remember, you've only won one title and it was in 1966. OK. Since then, yes, sir. Italy's Italy's won two World Cups and two Euros. Okay, so slow down. You know this is not. This is probably the stay in your lane moment, English fans. Um, and and you know it's money in the bank. And as much as it hurts to miss the World Cup, you know what? That trophy's still in the case. 
Okay. So that's exactly that's the way I feel. So Roberto, I know I know Cliff was gonna throw it over to you. Um we've got a lot to unpack there, my friend. So the floor is yours. What are your thoughts on on the performance in the match, Italy overall, where they go from here? I think obviously we have to give credit to North Macedonia for being able to hold them off and you know, not a lot of people were believing them. And, you know, I think we have to give them that praise. And it shows that, you know, there are no small teams in the world, in the world of football anymore. Anyone can surprise. And this isn't to call North Macedonia a small team because they made the Euros last time around. They've had great players in the past. But nevertheless, you know, to do something like they did to eliminate the European champions, the four-time winners of the World Cup, one of the best teams historically in all of world football, international football for sure, Um and and doing it over there in Palermo, I mean, wow, credit to North Macedonia. For Italy, yeah, so I, I think looking at it in hindsight, I think this has been something that I think you started to see some of the dangers even in qualifying, getting the results that they, 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 they couldn't get. I mean, obviously, you could put the blame maybe on missed penalties from Jorginho and whatnot, mm-hmm. but I think the seeds were planted. Um while it is difficult to compare a competition that is seven games in comparison to, in this case, 11 games for Italy, um, during an entire process, and then mind you, this process had even begun before the Euros anyway. So, yeah, I think I think the seeds were planted even beforehand. You know, looking at some of the results, a 1-1 draw in Italy against Bulgaria a nil-nil draw to Switzerland. You know, you even saw the draw in Switzerland as well and the draw against Northern Ireland. So think about it. This, they, they went on literally, excluding the game against Lithuania where they won 5 nil. They haven't won very impressively since then. Mm-hmm. And they've only got a draw or they've lost. I'm um, sorry. Yeah, they've only gotten a draw in this case. So, yeah, I, I think... Um, I think what I think, yeah, I think I agree. I think the defense with Chiellini and Nucci are are done. I think we knew that from the get go. Where do you start going going forward? I mean, you know, I think there's still many players that uh, can lead this team. I think Verratti is obviously the the main jewel you would say in the midfield and has been for quite some time because he's the best, one of the best central defense uh, center midfielders in the world. But you know, moving forward, I mean. You know, you have to you have to incorporate youth in this side. You know, you have to incorporate your Tonalis, your Locatellis, your Barella, Zaniolos, Raspadori, Scamacca. I mean, if you want to go in that back line, Mancini and Bastoni as your center backs, despite the performance that they had. Uh, and obviously, you have the goal. You have your goalkeeper for the next 15 years in Donnarumma. So, yeah, they definitely have to really go youth and 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 go from there. I think that's the only way you can move forward and. You know, they, they have a Euros coming up in 2024. They have to go and defend that title. Still have to qualify as well. You know, mm-hmm. hard to believe that. <laughs> so they have that. And, and then, obviously, for 2026, I mean, increased World Cup, more chances for Italy to qualify. So it might be a blessing in disguise. But And also, to, I guess, to answer your question, guys, of whether or not you take the World Cup over the European Championship. I mean, both of you guys are old enough to see that you've seen Italy win a World Cup. Keep that European title. Just keep it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to. I want to ask you guys a question because you know uh, there's a good chunk of this loss on the day that I put on Gigi Donnarumma for not making that save. Uh, Roberto, I'm going to ask you first, and then Cliff. I want to ask you the same question, or Roberto, if you can throw it over to Cliff to ask the same question. The mm. the move of Gigi Donnarumma from AC Milan to PSG, where now he's split time with Kaylor Navas, is that a mistake in his career? No. I don't think so because I believe that it was the decision that he wanted to do and perhaps Milan was thinking other ways and you know we don't want to go into big discussion about his like career as a whole but think about it this kid's only I say kid but he's only 23 years old mm-hmm. he's still in in this case an, an infant for goalkeepers so He's, and he's already had all the experience in the world playing for Milan over the last, what, seven years or something like that. So, no, I, I think he I think he wanted to make that choice, obviously. It's a huge thing when you're, when someone's offering you 8 million uh, euros a season. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, obviously, with Kaylor Navas, I mean, his time will come eventually, and that's when he has to pass the baton to, to Donnarumma because... Hey, he's the young one. Mm-hmm. He's the youngest. He's the best young goalkeeper in the world. Maybe to some, the best in the world at the moment. But 
No. No, I don't think it was a mistake. I think you can't put all the blame on Donnarumma for Italy not making the World Cup. Just like you have to credit him for his performances, that helps Italy win the Euros. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Cliff, same thing, and, 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 and Roberto points out what I was going to point out. This is a guy that... You know, on one hand, is is kind of the uh, the the heel in this match for for not making that save, but he's also the hero, one of the heroes for making the big save in penalties in uh, in the Euros against England. You, you know, is was his move to PSG a mistake in his career? Well, first off, I want to say in the match, I don't put any blame on him because, yeah, he did let in that, one, but it was a little bit of a far shot, and it was probably savable, but it was a hard shot it was into the corner he did get a hand to it but i don't want to put all the blame on him because there was so much in that team there was so much in blame in that team that could go around so i don't put it all on him plus he in my opinion is a top three goalkeeper in the world um but to the psg point i i actually disagree with roberto i don't think i think it was wrong for his career obviously we're talking about someone's career so who are we to say if it's right or wrong but at the same time i think it was wrong because he's not guaranteed um, you know, full starting time as a keeper. And um, for someone of his level, he should be starting basically every match, um, especially at his age. Um, and I think he would have gotten that Milan. Um, so was that, do I think it's a mistake going to PSG? Yes, but only because he's not starting all the time. If he was starting like all the matches, I would say that's great because then he is getting the experience that he needs. He is getting that exposure. that needs to different types of football and different types of playing styles. But because he's not starting consistently enough, I don't think it's a good move now, but say next year he's the starting guy all the time. Mm -hmm. Then, yes, it's a good move. But as of right now, I don't think it's a great move because he's not really – it's kind of stagnating his growth. All right, last last question for both of you on this. And, Cliff, I'll go to you first. Uh, no decision has been made by the FIGC or Roberto Mancini as to if he's going to stay or if he's going to leave the Italian national team. We know that there's already been links for him to move to PSG because – Let's be honest, we're all surprised that uh, Mauricio Pochettino is still in charge there. So, Cliff, your opinion, by the time uh, well, by the time the next season rolls around, the 22-23 season rolls around in Europe, is Roberto Mancini the Italian national team head coach, or is he the head coach at PSG? That's a tough one. Um, I think we're going to see how he evaluates things, but as of right now, I could see him stepping down, and I think I could... I don't know if it would be this season or next season, but I could see a De Zerbi or Italiano at some point taking over um, in the next couple of seasons because their play style kind of works well with that team and how it's run. Um, but I could see Mancini taking the PSG job. I could see him going back into club football because we obviously remember his stint at Man City. He was phenomenal. Um, so I, I could see him going to PSG. And plus, as we like you said, Pochettino is not. I'm very shocked he's still there, and I think Mancini would do very well with that side. And Roberto, your opinion on Roberto? <laughs> I, I think I think he stay with him. I, I think he still is able to really incorporate his understanding to players that really trust him. I think obviously it, it proved that in the Euros and it proved with some of the players that he's looking forward to. And you know, it's a new look Italy. I mean, this this was an Italy side that didn't even make the World Cup last time around in 2018, and needed a complete rehaul, um, revamp, and they did that. Okay, they didn't make the World Cup, and it's. It's disappointing for any team, especially if you are the reigning European champions and a four-time winner of the competition. But nevertheless, I think you still have someone that can do stuff with the side. Um, having said that, if indeed it goes bad in the next few matches, um, then you start to start thinking about moving on. But um, for the time being, trust Roberto for, for now. All right. Well, let's... Let's table the discussion um, and, and, and stop the pain and go back and polish our, uh, our European trophy because I think that's going to make us feel a little better. Let's, let's go to match of the week here. Um, and, and we've got some great matches coming up. Obviously, we're still in the middle of this international break as we come into April and back into the league play. So on Tuesday, we have Senegal and Egypt playing league. Uh, I'm sorry, playing the second leg of their round. Uh, that's going to be at 1 p.m. And that is uh, currently 1-0 in favor of Egypt at the moment. We have Poland and Sweden facing off at 2.45 p.m. Winner goes to the World Cup. Portugal, North Macedonia, 2.45 p.m. as well. The winner of that goes on to the World Cup. And I know at the beginning of qualifying, we said one of Italy or Portugal will not be going to the World Cup. There is real potential that neither will be going to the World Cup now because of these results. Then we move on to Tuesday evening where we look at the last round of Conmebol qualifying. Chile, Uruguay, 7.30 p.m. Peru, Paraguay at 7.30 p.m. 
And lastly, Venezuela, Colombia, also at 7.30 p.m. The, uh, the, the top finisher of those three matches will end up going into the playoff uh, round to get into Qatar 2022. On Wednesday, we have CONCACAF qualifying. Costa Rica, USA at 9.05. Mexico, El Salvador at 9.05. And Panama, Canada at 9.05. Top three teams will be going in. And the fourth place team, either Costa Rica, and again, fourth place team could be Costa Rica, Mexico, Panama, or the United States will be going off into a playoff. Then we go back to league play. On Saturday in League One, we have Nice and Rena playing at 11 a.m. In the EPL, we have Man United, Leicester City at 12.30. Also at 12.30, we have in the Bundesliga, Borussia Dortmund and RB Leipzig kicking off at 12.30 p.m. And then we go to MLS in the evening, LAFC taking on Orlando at 7.30 p.m. On Sunday, we have Barcelona Sevilla at 3 p.m. And then the big one and Cliff with uh, you and I both being Juventini, I don't know how we avoided talking about Juventus for 45 minutes, but we have the Derby d'Italia at 2.45 p.m. on Sunday. Um, these are two teams going in, in somewhat opposite directions right now. Italy's, I'm sorry, Juventus is one of the hottest teams in the Serie A, winning their last four matches. Inter on the other way down, uh, and provisionally right now, Inter, you would say, is four points ahead. They're actually one point with a match in hand. But Juventus are currently closer to the top spot in AC Milan than they are to the Europa spot in Roma uh, in fifth place. In your opinion, what do you think of Juve's uh, chances in this particular match at the J Stadium or at the Allianz this uh, this weekend and the potential for them to catch AC Milan for the title knowing that they do face them in a few weeks? What are your thoughts on, uh, on Juve's chances overall in this one? Well, first, I want to say what a week for um, football we have. Um, we have so much great um, football going on, so many great matches. I'm definitely going to be catching all of it. I don't usually watch Bundesliga and La Liga, but I think I'm going to have to because there's so many great matches to watch. But to Juventus, um, I think they're out of it. I still don't think they win the Scudetto. Um, I think it's a real outside shot. Um, if we're giving it percentages, I'm probably saying 5 or 10%. I still think it's pretty um, far out that it actually happens. And then for this match, Juve have been so hot, and Inter um, have been on a downward spiral a little bit. They've kind of lost a lot of their traction. We, I was praising them, thinking they would win the league pretty handily, um, but we see that might not be the case now. So I think Juve pull out a surprising result. I think they win this one 2-1. Um, and I think they – I'm not sure if it's going to look pretty because with Juventus, we know it never really looks pretty under Allegri, but I think we'll win 2-1. I think with all this Dybala – talk being kind of finished and put to bed i think it gives the team a little bit of clarity and it kind of helps them move on and this kind of cloud that looms over them will be will be dissipating so i think it comes a 2-1 result and i think juventus fans like you and me will be very happy roberto are uh is is he right i guess let's let's ask the uh, the neutral what do you think of uh this weekend's matchup yeah it's, it's gonna be intense i think obviously I, I do agree i don't think juventus will have enough to go and, and go for the Scudetto, but they can indeed damper, I think, Inter's last chance at probably getting that because if they don't, if Inter don't get points here maximum, uh, I think they're out of it. And, and that's where I think Napoli and Milan are going to fight it off there. So, yeah, I think it's a tough one. Two games are, these two teams love to play each other and it's always a difficult match for whoever. So, yeah, I think if Juve do get something from this results, I think that hampers Inter's chances of winning the Scudetto. You know, so I'm going to I'm going to stick with Mr. Nima Tavale. Uh, when he came on this show last year, and he said you don't count out Juventus until they are actually mathematically out of it. So I'm still going to hold a little bit of hope. Um, but uh, but, you know, that's that's just who I am. Um, one last question for both of you. The Paulo Dybala situation. Uh Handled properly? Is Juve making the right call? They making a terrible call? Cliff, what's your thoughts? Was it handled properly? That's a tough one because it seemed like there was a lot of smoke and mirrors between Dybala and his agent and Juventus. It seems like there was a lot of changing of the contract talks. Obviously, I don't know the exact details of what they spoke about, but in terms of figures, it sounds like they changed figures and bonuses and agreements that they had originally agreed upon. So um, do I like the way it was handled? No. I think it could have been a lot cleaner. I think if you were going to make this decision, you should have either sold him a few seasons ago and be done with it, or you should have, you know, convinced him to fully resign um, earlier. Um, but since that didn't happen, I would say, is this good for Juventus? Yes, because I think they're turning over a new leaf. They're kind of changing. Right now, they're in a changing format. You know, bringing in Vlavic, who is going to be the man, um, and now they're going to play a 4-3-3 system. There's not going to be any more debate about 
whether I think there shouldn't be any more debate about whether we play a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 or whatever, where we play Dybala. So now the key is going after a true left winger to pair up with um, Kiesa on the right with Vlaovic up top. And you have a set 4-3-3. I wish Dybala all the best because for me, at the end of the day, I want the player to be happy. I want the player to you know, get their money, be happy, be comfortable in their situation. And I think he ends up at, at Atletico Madrid. I think he ends there. Um, you know, with a very familiar faces, um, so some of his Argentinian brethren um, in uh, Rodrigo de Pau, and then he has the manager, um, Simeone, who is Argentinian, and he speaks Spanish, so I think that's a perfect fit in terms of play style as well, so that's um, that's what I think on the topic. Roberto, your two cents on the topic? Yeah, it's uh, it's very weird. I think, obviously, you know, you have to respect the decision that one makes when dealing with this kind of stuff, just like with Donnarumma, when he had to leave Milan to go to PSG and ultimately I think this is the best chance that you can get with Dybala. I think Juve are still, you know, in our chat with Nima a couple weeks ago, I think this is a Juve side that need to change a lot and some of that is making key decisions in taking out key players and, you know, Dybala is still youngish. He's only 28 or something like that. So you're getting him at the prime of his career. Um, and, you know, how much does he have to offer for the Juve side that wants to really revamp itself in the next few years? So, yeah, wish him the best in wherever he goes. I think he does end up in Spain, and I think he does go to a team like Atletico Madrid or, or Barcelona or something like that. I don't think he goes to any other team, although we did see the links with Inter, but I think he has such a, a really strong connection. Um to Juventus that he wouldn't do such a thing. Tottenham is also a big one in the Premier League because of his uh, connection with Antonio Conte. We'll see, but uh, I think ultimately whoever does get Paulo Dybala will get a really, really talented player on their side. Just don't go to Inter. Um, <laughs> Cliff, before we let you go, where can everybody find your work? And, and again, thank you so much for giving us all this time today. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you guys for having me on. This has been a great, great time. Great, You guys have a great show um, that you guys run. Um, you guys can find me on YouTube um, at our um, show Stoppage Time by All UV Cast. Um, you know, we do weekly shows um, on everything um, culture-related, Serie You can find me on Twitter, Cliff Asmiel, um, as well on Instagram. So, yeah, that's all That's all my stuff. But, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. This has been a great time. Thank you, thank you. And, Mr. Rojas, uh, before we hit the closing music, we have nothing left on the docket, so should we close it up? No, I think also one thing to mention, the World Cup draw is happening this Friday, the group stage draw for the World Cup in Qatar. So keep an eye on that and let's see what kind of groups we get. That's right. We'll have to and then we'll have to start planning our our preview shows for the World Cup uh, in November. So now without anything left on the closing unit, left on the docket, I will hit the closing music. So for episode 353 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Cliff Esmiel for joining us on the show. Next week, we'll go back to looking at the leagues. We'll give you the results of the Derby d'Italia. And moving forward, we'll give you the draw to the World Cup and take a look at the groups as they come out. So for episode 353 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Ritter Ross. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>